Hi, I'm Cornell. I'm Glenroy. And I'm Kareem. And welcome to the Fish Tea Podcast where... We hair whipping, heel strutting Jamaican queens talk about LGBTQ politics, pop culture, growing up in the Caribbean, life in the diaspora, and the work it takes to sustain love, life, and laughter in the midst of all the white noise. We're giving you everything, honey. Get into this mug. We're serving you a hot cup of fish tea. Bottoms, Bottoms up. up. <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite quiz are back. <laughs> Here, here. Three, three queens of Orient side. I, I can't stop. <laughs> I never learned that song. Oh, God. <laughs> well, Happy New Year, y'all. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Happy New Year. Happy Kwanzaa. Merry, I don't know, what, to, what else is there? Happy, happy Hanukkah, Hanukkah. All of that. Merry Christmas, Kwanzaa. What is it? <laughs> Wait, do the what is it? Orthodox Christians? Is it like New Year's or Christmas at the Orthodox Christians? Because I I saw something recently that said that looks like their date is different. You sound like one multiple choice question girl. No, uh, hold on. You know what? I'm gonna like pull this up while we're still talking because this was totally a thing the other day. I think they had a. It was either Orthodox Christmas or Orthodox New Year was like different than yeah. So Orthodox New Year is January fourteenth. Uh huh. Yeah. So for the Orthodox Christians, um, Happy New Year to you as well. So there you go. Um, All right, got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm glad to be back with you. Uh, how was the holidays for both of you? What did y'all do? Um, I, did, I did some traveling, actually, with the family, and that was very cute, but it was very tiring because I drove the whole time. I drove, so I live in Jersey, and I drove to Georgia, and that's like a 13-hour drive. Um, I didn't do it by myself, but, you know, even if you're not drive, you still have to stay up and alert and, you know, keep vibes with the driver so the driver feels good for them long journey there. Um, so, you know, I was still, I was still a, a rider, a passenger, whatever it is, um, an active. I was still engaged in the journey. Um, for my niece's sweet 16th birthday. So shout out to Elia. Happy belated birthday now, I guess. And then afterwards, literally, and I don't, I'm, I somewhat regret doing it, but it was such a good time that I don't. I came back Christmas Eve at like 4.50 from Georgia. And literally by 2.30 PM, I was driving to Canada and that's another seven hour journey. Um, but it was good. You know, Christmas was good and everything. Then I came back home, spent the New Year's here and, um we did what a little games night by my friend's house but um i'm looking forward to this new decade that we have started um, i'm feeling particularly inspired and determined to you know kick off a few things but we won't get into that just yet how about the rest of you girls go ahead cornell uh it was good um luckily for me i finished school stuff relatively earlier on um in december so i had I'm close to a month off, which was really great. I got to see Kareem for a bit, which was lovely. Um, but mostly I was spending my time um, laying in bed. Well, no, not laying in bed, lying in bed or lying on the couch. And that was amazing because it was paired with awesome cuddles, which is oh, all I want in life. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, what? I was going to ask if it was, you were laying down alone or if it was New Bay. Oh, yes, it is. The, yes, things are. I don't know officially for the podcast, New Bay. Yeah, you. Hashtag New Bay. No, it's supposed to be hashtag prosperity. Remember Glenroy. Remember, you had told good sis, walk into your prosperity. And it has happened. And as such... It is Prosperity Bay or Hashtag Prosperity. That's I it. love it. I am here for it. You know what? I'm now thinking that like Prosperity would actually be a kind of cute name for a child. No, don't do it. All right, Chloe Kim Anuversadim. Shagana Hollywood Pawi. I'm just saying. Like people have like Destiny and like Heaven as right. Like people want a Prosperity. And Kingston and Blue. <laughs> <laughs> 
Olympic in destiny and every war fighting is going to say that is better. Do not call people prosperity. <laughs> hey, prosperity, prosperous. No, but even the Jamaican them start call. prosperity. Prosper, what again? Prosper, prosperity. Oh, you might not get to eat that name there. Come here, girl. African name, our national name, our national name, were easy for transfer into our Kashasa. But how do you prosperity? Fine, I'm the same. I think it's cute. It's fine. But, like, what about you? What did you get up to, Glenroy? So, I mean, my. I originally thought I would be spending Christmas abroad. I, that didn't end up happening, but it worked out in my favor. Um, I spent a good amount of time with friends and family, both families. Um, I spent Christmas with my biological family. I spent Boxing Day with my church family. And I was with at different events throughout all of um, the holiday period. So I had a great time. And I rang in the New Year's with my chosen family, the Emojas. We, were, we went up up to one nice hill somewhere in a Kingston. And with all of the fireworks from across the city, it was lovely. We made wishes. There was actually a shooting star. And we saw a nice. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It was really a good moment. And then we go home a little bit inebriated. But that's not the point. <laughs> But it was it was a good season for reflection and you know cherishing the friendships that I had. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed doing that. Mm-hmm. All right, dope, excellent. Okay, well I'm glad we set it off. Yeah, um, but we just want to point out that I'm a firm believer in New Year, New Me. So he's a virgin again. Oh, <laughs> all right. Absolutely. And I support that. Absolutely. I support that. You know what? Go for it. Go for it. I'm here. So what you No, I was just saying I'm glad we all started off the new year in the company of loved ones. Mm-hmm. And I hope you're able to maintain that energy for the next twelve months. Yes, yes. Yeah, good vibes all throughout. So for today, listeners, um, we also hope that you had a wonderful holiday. So one of the I mean, since it's, you know, January, a new year, a new decade, obviously we have to do a kind of like a whole like New Year's resolution, not just resolution necessarily, but a kind of like New Year's oriented um, episode where we kind of reflect on the past year and, you know, in this particular episode, the past decade. Um, and it's, I also wanted to like do this like weird funny thing where it's not just, you know, like 2020 in terms of like looking back. So I think it's completely apt that we are looking back at uh, some of the changes that have taken place over the past decade um, in the area of LGBTQ politics, LGBTQ rights, uh, queer life in the Caribbean, um, to see or to take stock of like where we've where we've come. And so we're going to be thinking about some of the political advancements and changes and shifts that have taken place. Uh, we are also going to be thinking about and discussing some of the. Uh, different kinds of opportunities that queer folks now have um, in taking up public space, public space and, um, you know, claiming their identity and building different kinds of networks that might not have been as um, prominent or as public in in the past. So perhaps to begin, I want us to take a step back and think about where we were in 2010. and I guess, where were you in your kind of, you know, I guess your kind of like queer identity, your queer networks, like what did life look like for you at that point in time, as far as your queerness was concerned? Oh, then time I did finally, I mean, it was later than the year, but finally get a, a boyfriend in 2010. <laughs> That's where it all started, folks. That is where it all started. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wasn't very far and I never got the sense. I, I guess I was still very much the kind of gay that, oh, I'm not one of those gays. I'm very much, so I was very much that I'm different from the rest of the gays who are out there and being loud and whatever, whatever. I think that's where I was in my mindset because I guess back then it was very popular to kind of disassociate from um, how, or how mainstream media represented what being gay meant um, and kind of setting yourself apart. But all the while, kind of, rethinking then what it meant to be gay and rethinking um, or challenging within your head 
what the media was saying, but still at the same time trying to make sure you weren't what the media was showing. I think that's where I was. Mm, okay. Kareem? I feel like we started out the same because I'm like, I'm listening to you talk, Lenora, and I think I was somewhat like that. Not somewhat, I think I definitely was because um, I remember like taking pride in the comments like, oh, I like you because you're gay, but you're not that gay or you're not that kind of gay or you don't throw it in your face type of situation. Um, but in 2010, let's see, Cornell, help me. In 2010, no, I, I had... From, to upper six. I was, yeah, 6'4". So 2009. Remember, Cornell, I had broken up with my first boyfriend back Aww. in 2009. So 2010... Yeah, but i remember it was very much like it was very much hush hush like it wasn't like now where i could if i wanted to be on an app or the yellow pages i could be there with my photo up or anything um i had fake email addresses fake names shit fake photos um what else was i doing back in 2010 I was I had the nails, but it wasn't as long. They were definitely clear polish, not this pink nude situation that I'm into now. Um, but yeah, I was definitely as but as much as I can, definitely more closeted. So let's ask a more trickier question, uh, right. and you can answer that current start to answer that kernel. What did being gay mean for you back then, and what did you associate queerness with back in 2010? Hmm. I think it was, I'm trying to see if I can find the, 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 the word. Weakness isn't the word I'm looking for. It was seen as something that I needed to feel uh, concerned about. So I guess, whereas I think now, you know, it's more something that I think, you know, I, I celebrate that I think is important in terms of uh, um, who I am and how I am with with people, whereas in 2010, like in six from it was something that I needed to be like uh, trying to like manage or or hide or be wary of um, out of a you know as a way to kind of like protect my my safety in a in a particular kind of way. Um, I'm, I still can't think of it. There's a specific word I'm thinking of, but I don't know. Uh, a hindrance, perhaps, might, might be another way to, to think about it. But I, I just really quickly, I wanted to respond to something that two of you were gesturing to. So, um, Glenora, you were saying earlier about this idea of pop culture. And I just wanted to like mention really quickly that, you know, the early 2000s, around the time of 2010, is actually a really interesting time in terms of uh, pop culture representation of um, LGBTQ characters on television. And yes, there were shows before like Queer as Folk and um, Will and Grace perhaps like earlier on. But I think in the 2010s where we started to see things like Pretty Little Liars and Modern Family, it, it became like a thing where like every new show that was coming out had like a stock gay character. And so I just wanted us to like take the, the, the moment that like, you know, that, that kind of ushered into the proliferation of uh, queer representation on um, on television and in film and so on. And then to Karim's point about social media, it's also interesting to think about the fact that, or to reflect on the fact that, you know, back in the day, oh, because I mean, okay, so back then we were using things like Adam for Adam, BGC Live, I don't know what, what you were using, Glenroy, but I spoke to folks who were older than me who were saying that they used certain, like, um, news outlets or I think someone said they used that like a go to make a website. Whereas now the, the technology that facilitates uh, socializing among queer people has developed in, you know, very interesting, sometimes not productive and sometimes harmful kind of ways. But it's just interesting to see how these things have developed. So I'm just like flagging some of the changes. But um, yeah, well, did you have thoughts for your own question, though, Glenroy, in terms of what your, your thoughts were on that topic? Well, I guess... <clears throat> I guess for me in 2010, and by the way, I want to ask, I'm not sure, and I probably should check, um, when did Glee start? Because I think Glee, you talk about representation for copyright, mm. I know Glee was a big thing for yes. us. Chris Carter's character, 
Glee um, came out 2009. Yes, around that time as well. Just around that time, seeing Kurt struggle and then seeing Kurt and Blaine come together and what that would have meant for, you know, queer people, seeing that kind of a very direct and visible representation, well, not necessarily queer people of color, but yet and still key. Um, but for me, I guess the sense of being, I didn't know that, I, I definitely never felt a part of a community. Mm. Uh, and I don't think I had a good sense of what was happening in Jamaica at the time, what, what forms of community existed um, at that time and how we were able to kind of navigate that space. I mean, because especially since it was that time kind of finding somebody and having my first relationship later down in the year, um, which kind of, and then having a very traumatic experience when, my, when the whole my parents found out and everything. But that was kind of an awakening time for me. And mm-hmm. even through all of that, I never felt like there was, there were others that I could talk to about the situation apart from the, my partner at the time. So I guess it was also that, that um, and, it, and it's definitely a function of age, but even the kind of sense of, if you look at the visibility now versus the visibility, uh, or visibility then versus the visibility now, I can definitely imagine that someone in high school now who's going through what we went through then at least have um, a bunch of different forms of representation online where they can not only identify queerness, but identify Jamaican queerness. Um, Versus that then, that wasn't necessarily a thing that I could look to or that I knew where to look for it. Mm -hmm. And and can I just add really quickly before Karim joins in, in terms of the the point about representation, so yes, Glee was this um, visibly queer, really popular TV show, but to make a point about like how much the idea of queer representation um, in terms of saturation of the, the pop culture market, like this was also a period where um, the TV show Spartacus was really popular um, that also had like gay characters and like effects happening as well. And some people may not remember, but from in my, to my recollection, I think the two of the survivors, I, I think two survivors ended up being a queer couple, which is like actually so wild. But um, I know some people were, were unhappy about that. But like, I mean, yeah, it, 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 it was an important moment in terms of representation as well. But, and yeah. I did love Spartacus. I watched all four seasons. Listen. Asir <laughs> and what's the other name? But the other guy, the Gaul, I can't remember. He wasn't a Gaul. He was um, a, from, a, the, was it Ryan? One of those people from the Ryan or the West. Wherever, I can't remember the exact term that they were using at the time. I think it was Rhineland, I'm not sure. But yeah, it was a seer, if I think that was his name. It was a Syrian character and that Rhineland or Ryan whatever character. And they made it to the end. And I was very pleased with that. Crixus died, Spartacus died. On a mm. died. Yeah, I know my characters. Yeah, the gay couple <laughs> survived, imagine. <laughs> And that was a big thing. And I think what I liked about it is that um, also the Petros, which was um, the, the, first, the guy that was a part of the first gay couple with Barker in the season one, Petros yes. actually played the Red Ranger in Power Rangers RPM, which was very interesting to me. Um, and so you also saw a representation of black um, queerness on TV um, in different kinds of ways. And that was useful as well. Um, and I get, and for me, why Spartacus was so powerful was everybody was watching Spartacus. It wasn't a queer show. It was right, me. right. And so it forced all of those men, all of those boys my age who were watching Spartacus and seeing those titties jiggle up right now and getting their rocks off to be confronted with the reality that queerness exists in equal measure and that there would be some scenes, small, significantly smaller in number and proportion, but those scenes were there and those was where I got my rocks off one and two <laughs> I put on this plan where my love and my affection felt like it mattered. So I mean big up Spartacus, Blood and Sand, um Gods of Olympus, Gods of Olympus, all of them. All of the arena, I think. Arena, vengeance and that last one I can't remember right now. I remember I remember. But yeah, big up Spartacus for what you did for us. And then Game of Thrones then did it um within that within the decade as well with Renly and um, Sir Loras, like putting those people in and giving them moments really challenge pe- mainstream people um, or people who watch mainstream TV to recognize that queerness could exist right alongside um, um, heterosexual or well, heteronormativity or, or heterodominance, whatever. And it was, and it, and it could play out and it was fine. And they had, they respected Barker. They respected the guy whose name I can't remember right now. 
um, because they were badass fighters, mm-hmm. but they were also there too. So that also kind of diversified the image as well. So yeah, but no, but you look on my soapbox, but when you look spot because I'm a little whatever. Oh my god. Okay, Kareem. I think when it's Okay, I remember. Um, so and me kind of changed, right? So it's everything that Cornell said. Um, but then I'm just now thinking about where I was back into like throughout the decade and into to the United States. So queerness um started to look a little bit different to me. Um it started to look more like liberation, more like um like I I moved to a country where queer people had some type of rights or they were a part of a protected class and so on and so forth and so it was kind of navigating that new landscape for me and seeing where I fit within all of that I definitely experienced some type of like culture shock because of course the things that happen here in um broad daylight so to speak are not things that necessarily happen so case in point I was walking at one point and some dude just walked up to me and he's like hey where you going um let's go back to your place and I'm like huh like, what is this? And I'm, like, scared because I'm, like, oh, he's just trying to soften me up to rob me or something of the sort. Um, but I just didn't necessarily think that that's something that could necessarily happen because I've never encountered that in Jamaica at that time. But um, for me, queerness kind of, again, took on some type of a, a different um, look because now I'm allowed to experiment with different things that I couldn't experiment with back in Jamaica. I'm walking with bags and handbags and and I'm an elbow pit and stuff like that. Uh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I lost where I was going with this. No, I mean, that's, that's actually really useful, though, because I wanted us to reflect on how, like, social spaces have changed, how the infrastructure that is available um, has changed, how people's mindsets have changed. So to your point about the things that you were able to that you are able to do now that you might not have been, you weren't able to do um, a decade ago? Like, what are some of the things that made that possible? And I recognize that since it's informed by the fact that you moved to the, the US, but it, we've also had conversations about, because you were saying, you know, in some of the episodes last season about, you know, you're not sure if you'll be able to survive in Jamaica. And Gunnar was like, well, you have, like, you'll be fine. Right. Um, so obviously, there are things happening in Jamaica now that didn't exist in the way that they did a decade ago. Um, and so maybe we can talk about some of those things in terms of like how, you know, people's thoughts, feelings, um, have changed on particular kinds of issues. I did want to pick up though on something that Venerai said in terms of community about not having access to community. And I would also pose a question about how has, um, your own access or idea of access to or idea of community changed over the past um, decade as well. Hmm. Huh. What a tough question about home. I, I mean, for me, it's just finding the community and understanding the layers and intricacies of it. I mean, I don't know if you fully understand it yet. All as needed. Um, I, I think it's kind of seeing, it, seeing the community emerge and own space. So um, if I think about what has made it possible for us to be where we are. I do think social media has, is a big part of that. I think what has happened, um, I think maybe first, I'm not gonna say first, but large, um, in a large way um, by Facebook and then um, in Twitter, then Instagram, and then you know, proliferated everywhere is that queer people were empowered through social media to be able to fight back or push back or be visible. Um, and it was in, maybe groups, maybe Facebook conversations, we were able to say, no, what you are saying is wrong because we know we have the benefit of distance. I'm not in front of you. Not, I'm not surrounded by the horde. Uh, or rather, because the horde is far enough away from me, I can take out my massive swords, quote, quote unquote, and take on everyone. Um, and I feel like that emboldened a lot of queer people to kind of like step into them greatness. Um, and, and it also gave us space for allies to be able to kind of um, have a voice, talk about their perspectives, come out openly as allies. Um, and definitely, um, it's, it's, it's almost, so when we think about now, Jamaica and Twitter, and there's this big divide between Twitter and Facebook and whatever, it's understood for, to a large extent that Twitter is more progressive in terms of their views on um, queerness. It's not perfect, and there, there are lots of pockets of 
um, pro- problematic ideas that have emerged and, and, and almost bubbles. But the general view is that if you say something that is outwardly homophobic on Twitter, you're po- if, if, if you don't get dragged, everybody will kind of give you the side eye like, what? What are, you, what, what are you saying? What are you doing here? Like, this is not the space for a kind of vibe. And I feel like um, kudos has to go out to social media for just um, giving us that platform to be able to claim space in that way and also give visibility to the things that we went through. Because I think it, it's very easy to deny the existence of homophobia when there's no video around showcasing it. But mm. when, when the UTEC incident happened back in 2011 or 2012 and that video was posted on Facebook, I believe, on one of the, one of the social media platforms, and then it made news. And then it started a conversation about where we were, started a conversation about diversity on Vitex campus and a whole project that, still, that did work up until, um, that was in existence up until 2017, um, or I think early 2018. So um, because social media gave us a platform to talk to advocate, but also to, to be seen and for what we were going through to be seen, then people start to recognize that, oh, this being homophobic thing has real implications for real people. It's not just this ghost behind that I can say, oh, born Batman and that is it. No, actually, a Batman is a person. To the person right here in my friends or to the person coming in mm-hmm. And now my words have a, they mean something more than this idea that I park around in my little groups that I don't think anybody else is going to hear or be impacted by. So I think that's a big part of how um, the community coming up and, and becoming visibly or looking like a community online um, really makes a difference. So, so Glenroy, thank you for bringing up the UTEC incident because I had actually forgotten about that. But um, so could you just provide like a brief description because when that happened, that also resonated with me in a particular kind of way. It was, I think it was probably one of the most horrendous um, that I had seen. Um, so I think two students at UTEC were reportedly um, having some kind of sexual engagement in the bathroom and they were found. And one of them ran away, or ran into nearby bushes. And then the other, I think, was running, toward, running away as well. Instead of going the way that the other one went, um, he was, I guess, going towards the main entrance slash exit and ran into the security post right there. And I think, and there was a man behind him, of course. And instead of security guards protecting him from that mob, they brutally beat him. And then while the mob was chanting, chanting homophobic, um, slurs and things like that. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a wake up for a lot mm-hmm. of that this is what your that looks like. I mean, it was it was painful for for me to watch that uncomfortable video for me to watch. Kind of feel like almost there's a possibility that it, your hate is that you will brutally attack us. Um, but yeah, that is what happened. And I mean, I think another example of how social media brought light to what people were facing, although a bunch of examples, but so there is the Dwayne Jones situation and what happened with the mob killing that happened with Dwayne Jones and how the public discussion around it kind of also helped kind of catalyze how people responded and how people understood that this should not happen. And then also the level of attention publicly that and discussion that happened around, for example, the quote-unquote the queens and their experiences, people coming online, whether it is to complain about their existence, whether it is to talk about um, whatever criminality they are allegedly engaged in, um, and things like that. Uh, so queerness became centerpiece early on in, in, in the decade, so 2012, 13, 14. Queerness was in all of our faces all the time. It was, it was online discussion on Facebook. It was everywhere, and lots of things were happening. And because we had that to discuss it, um, I definitely think kind of make, it was a typical inroad into how far we have come now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wanted to add as well, so you were saying earlier about the uses of social media, and in addition to your point about, you know, advocacy and being seen, one of the things for me is that, like, social media also provided a platform for people to be able to connect, because when I was asking the, the initial question about, like, you know, access to community, I think one of the things... Um, that the past decade has shown us is that like there are far more Batman out there than we thought that there were, right? So yeah. <laughs> there might be a, everywhere. 
Exactly. So there might be a way that, you know, I guess at least for us in high school where we thought, you know, we might be isolated in a particular way or they right. might be like one or other two people. Um, the past decade has shown us that there are hundreds or thousands of, um, you know, queer Jamaican people um, who are, you know, living their lives. And so social media also gives us an opportunity to connect. But then the other thing I wanted to mention too, in terms of infrastructure or um, social spaces, when I was in, and I mean, I think Karim would have more to say about this, but like my impression of, you know, parties and such or clubs were like, it was kind of a hush hush, or you already know about these things. If you knew someone who was connected, if you knew someone who knew someone, whereas now based on what I'm hearing, it's like people having big, big party out. Someone was telling me that like, it's some beach duvet thing where man does upon man and it's like ultimate, the, the open and no one gives a shit. But also, um, even thinking about some of the works that you've been doing with uh, JFlag, when I was in high school, the idea of JFlag was this kind of like... Secret society almost. But I mean, not even secret, but this kind of like, this small kind of um, distant um, institution that existed, but like, I wasn't really sure what they did, but I was like, okay, cool. Whereas now the kind of presence and impact um, that JFL and affiliated organizations have had in reshifting um, the conversation around LGBTQ politics. Like I am, I I couldn't. Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 a huge thing that I'm sure means a lot to to people or has impacted people's lives, even if they don't necessarily know it. Right? Like because. Um, the, the, the organization hasn't been able to galvanize a certain kind of uh, support or interest or influence, um, yeah, in the Jamaican landscape. So those are also, that's also something I just wanted to like mention as well. Oh, I'm going to run in Panda quick and then shut up. Because I don't want to talk too much at then. <laughs> um, big shout out to blood clot jack guy any blood clot we are javed they right now big up your blood clot you know why oh god yes fucking gay. right what Javed did at the time that he did it was critical so critical to how people saw and understood the community um and then what then followed so for me one of the i mean i wouldn't say critical to me i wouldn't have advocate but i would definitely say is that i met javed uh, one day on campus he came to um, a meeting that we're having, and Javed kind of just talked to us and talked about his experience and touched me like, oh gosh, I could see myself. I could see myself um, kind of being this person that is, or kind of talking about what he was talking about. He was inspiring to listen to, find that there was this Batman who was labeled as, when he was on Live at Seven, who was literally labeled as homosexual. Um, just talking about us in talking about being queer in this openly defiant way was such a key thing um, to happen. And then, of course, with the We Are Jamaicans campaign that JFlag all that kind of shifted how people saw the community, how people talked about tolerance. Um, that was also a huge moment as well. And, and even though Javed pulled out of the case in the end, so much traction was won. Um, Javed just being visible. Just saying, yes, me a Batman, and what? Me deserve to stay here, me deserve to be here. Um, we needed that, and we needed people like me to come out as the executive director of JFlag, and we, we needed to see people openly saying, yeah, we're, 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 we're so, so what, what else? Mm. That is what led to this generation now of kids and young ones and adolescents. I mean, not so kids coming on, but this new generation now um, that very open acknowledges who they are from much earlier on and, and, and defiantly and defiantly declares that this is who I am and we're going to have to deal with it. Um, and, and that's on the backs of people being, whether it is fearless or brave or confident enough to do what, you know, the Javeds of this world did. I'm off my alpha flag account. Javed after. Um, okay, I want Karim to come in here, um, but I... So I want, I want to ask Karim if you wanted to speak to the point about Javed, because I just want to like, respond to Glenora on that. But if not, if, okay, if you have something to say about Javed, you can go first. But if not, I just want to say something really quickly and then you can respond to the general question. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that this, um, Javed was a 
very Im and remains an important figure in the uh, the conversation around LGBTQ politics in uh, Jamaica and the the Caribbean broadly. One of the things I re oh I mean I so I follow him on Twitter and one of the there was a tweet about um, the kind of cost or effects in terms of his mental health that that work had on him. And so I want to recognize the, um, the kind of labor that he performed on behalf of the, I also apologize if I'm getting the, the pronouns wrong, but I, as far as I know, Javed identifies as, um, uses he, him pronouns. Um, but yeah, but he, there was a, this kind of observation of the, the cost or the, the, the work and the labor and the toll that took on him personally um, but one of the things I appreciated was in the interviews that were done, there was this kind of no-nonsense, no direct way of approaching people even when they were being antagonistic. Because I think the representation of queer people in Jamaica up to that point was very much, you know, like ghetto, you know, incredibly feminine, um, this, this, very, this kind of like stereotypical caricature even. And he was responding to the, the questions with, um, you know, in, in, in a, he, was, he was eloquent, he was direct, he was critical, um, he was firm. Um, and I think, yeah, that kind of presence did so much because like his, um, his intelligence and his debating skills, or his critical thinking skills, I think shifted the kind of, you know, narrow-minded analysis that might have been taking place at, at, in some of the, the the conversations and I think it was important to have that kind of representation over there but I mean sorry Karim has been waiting for a while to speak so it's your <laughs> no I have no it's fine you guys have been educating me um because some of the things that you guys brought up I even forgot happened honestly um even forgot about Javed and I'm pretty sure I had him on Facebook at one point and as you guys were talking I was trying to find him but I haven't found it but Anyway, the job I pick up myself. Um, <laughs> but I'm good. You, 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 we could keep it going. But yeah, but what are your thoughts, though, Kareem, on the question of um, oh, yeah. community? Oh, yeah. So my access to community, um, I found, and I'm speaking from the, again, the standpoint of somebody who left before the decade really took off um, back in 2011. So community kind of took on a, a, a different, meaning for me because I found myself again thankful to social media for keeping me connected with the Jamaican folks that I knew because of course coming here I didn't really know the lay of the land I didn't know who's who and who's where and I think the closest the only thing for as it relates to community that changed for me is the fact that it never had to happen in private anymore so I didn't have to necessarily wait for a lime or wait for um and i'm saying this because i'm saying like i was able to be myself in public spaces um without in like too much start to find friends and so on and so forth um it never happened it never happened in like group chats or where Clark cornell if you remember like during high school it would be us sitting in the corner somewhere during lunch or just like it was so much privacy around it. I could just literally be in the park somewhere with a me and a bunch of another a, a bunch of other um gay guys or, or queer identified individuals and just be and that was different for me um that was different in the sense that I didn't have to use codes to establish community um I could see another queer person or a visibly queer person and call out to them or say something um that only us gays say I guess <laughs> and and establish some type of kinship immediately. And I don't know if I'm making it vivid, um, as vivid as I think I'm saying it, but for example, if you f walking through Emancipation Park, I don't know if anybody remember that particular corner where they say if you, the, the assumption was if you sat on that corner, then you know, you're gay or you're with you're a family. Or <laughs> if you did that double take where you walk by the person and you look back, then maybe that's some type of energy that was exchanged and might signal some type of, you know, some maybe you are from the same community. I didn't necessarily have to do that because people were more visible here or could be themselves here. And so there was the guessing game part of it was um, cut to a minimum. But in terms of like having authentic people that I could call, for example, like this calling, for example, Glenn or, or Cornell to have some type of co uh, conversation 
that took years to build. And even now it's still, I don't think I have that in the sense of all of the people who are part of my queer community are people that have migrated from Jamaica. Mm. So um, people that I used to rub shoulders with at Oasis or in the, um, the part, the, the sub parties are people who are now living here that are part of my community. Right. That's interesting. Right, I was just about to say that is interesting. Episode, I think they start the suggestion that was before about uh, you know how people kind of cope with with, with migrating and and such. We'll talk about that. Uh, so I guess some other things have come in my mind to flag, but uh, I don't know if Cornell wanted to say anything else. However, well, go on. Oh right, there were some things I, I had in mind, but if you had something in mind, go ahead. Well, I guess I'm thinking about to like, I know you mentioned like some of the bigger kind of policy stuff. Um, right, that's where I was going. All right, so for example, happened in 2015, the constabulary their policy on diversity, um, openly saying that you can't, you can't, in provision of service, discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation. I mean, implementation is another discussion, but um, I think that was a big and important step as well for the JCF to do. Um, I guess some other things, um, that have happened, I guess, if I think more generally, for example, the 2016 win um, of that case in Belize, um, challenging the sodomy laws there, and then there was a 2018 win in Trinidad. All of that kind of comes at the backdrop of regional work done around improving the laws around uh, sexual orientation and gender identity issues. Oh, I cannot forget the win in Guyana. Um, in 20, it was not late, I think it's late 2018 or early 2019, um, around challenging the anti cross dressing laws there. And that was also mm. that has not that does not get a lot of feature because, as I often say, it's not our own gay men and, and the sex that they had. So, the way in which we talk about it within the movement is not a, it's not as focused on a, a, a lot, but in terms of what was said by the judges, um, that was a very important win in the end. But that's stuff I'm not mm. going but we've definitely seen a, a swing. So globally, there's been this swing in terms of LGBT rights. So like, I think, um, I don't remember what was the case, the, the, the marriage equality case in America was in 2013-14, around that time. But there was that, and then there were referendums in Australia. There was a referendum in Australia. There was, a, I think, a referendum in Northern Ireland, I think. I don't remember. But there have been, like, and of course, the, the, the case in India, um, I mean, the three cases were within the decade, I believe. The Nas Foundation was within the decade. But yeah, there have been these cases in India. The last one was a big win um, as well. But we've seen this kind of swing globally, and the Car- Caribbean was not left out of that. And that has a lot to do with kind of those people showing up and showing out in the way that we have to finally taking the necessary steps to take a stand. And if you think about, talk about, impact of that kind of work um the kind of the kind of things that Ross, for example went through uh being in the face of this kind of challenge is serious and it's no joke so for people like that to step out and be in the face of a community and challenge a system um is amazing and something that's recognition and it's something that kind of i think the this really shifted how we thought about queer people within the region in terms of what we knew what, what was possible um, and it did ignite a lot of interest for others in the region, but critically, it showed that regionally it was possible because finally we had a case coming out of the Caribbean, English-speaking Caribbean, I should say, that your constitution prohibits sexual orientation discrimination. And then mm. just the other day, um, at the end of the year, actually, um, the Court of Appeal decision um, basically agreed and established it. So... Yeah, you know, that we've gotten these major victories as well, kind of shows that we really kind of made a big step from 2010, um, where there are two more laws within the region that versus uh, there are two less laws, but also there's, there's much, there, there's a much bigger movement. Um, well, I guess three if you count Guyana, because criminalized cross-dressing. And so now there's this bigger movement, and especially if we think about the focus on trans issues, that was not there in 2010. That right. was there through, I mean, for a good half of the, of the decade. We were talking about trans issues. We didn't have the language to talk about trans issues. And now, 
um, we're seeing trans advocates, some of them that have been around for years, but just work visibility. Uh, and that's as a result of, for example, there was there were a couple panel discussions, a couple of articles. So people like Ashley Gordon, um, people like Maisie, and Maisie had done an interview or a panel discussion. I think Tiana had done an interview. Tiana uh, Miller had done an interview and a panel discussion as well as Miller, Tiana Miller. So they, these are the, these are the trans people of years. Of, I'm not say years gone by, with, earlier within the decade, who made it possible, for example, for Transwave Jamaica to exist today and to be able to do the kind of work that it does because they were at the forefront sit, dancing in a soccer party and not caring and say, we deserve to be here too, we are spending money too, so now we let we in. Um, and so now, when we think about soccer parties in Jamaica, we think inclusive, we think, oh, you can go there and dash out, oh, you can go there and do whatever and that is because of people like that who have um, who really did stand up and say we're queer but we matter so and we enjoy ourselves um, mm. uh, and that's critical you know so I also want to shine a light on that kind of knowledge why we've come as, as far as we have within the community and within the region right and I mean I would just flag too for our listeners that Laws and policies don't change overnight, right? So the fact that these things are happening um, at the moments that you're um, pointing out for us, this is like years of work. Mm -hmm. But one of the beautiful things now is that now that certain changes have happened, there is precedence, there there are models specifically within the Caribbean context for other Caribbean countries um, to look to. And so the kind of advocacy work and the, the legal work that is being done um, around some of these issues uh, has, um, there are like models that they can look to as, as examples um, to be like, okay, this was done here, this is what we've achieved, and this is where we can go in the next um, few years, which is like really amazing and exciting. I didn't want to mention as well that, um, so we were talking offline, um, earlier and I was saying that one of the things that I found really uh, amazing, I don't know if this was last year or the, or the year before, but the fact that there was a, a trans person who was running for a member of parliament in Jamaica, I was like, this is amazing and I would never have expected something like this to happen. So just to compare that to 2008 where Bruce Golding is like you know not in my cabinet cabinet. but but now we're at a point where um, trans folk are openly running for um, running as politicians in in Jamaica like that is that's like great stuff right there like we love to see it Um, by the way I'm not not in my cabinet Um, I have a personal gripe about not not in my not in my cabinet. Of course, I have a gripe about. But more critically, I have with how we have responded to Andrew Holness's response to not in my cabinet. In terms of not in my cabinet is a benchmark, and we have actually reached a point where the, res- the appropriate response has been given. And that shift is something I don't know that we've done enough in acknowledging. I never always acknowledge it when we talk and be critical. But yeah. Uh, I just wanted to flag that we've had a prime minister who said yes, it, um, our brother has said it doesn't matter, and my cabinet be discriminatory on that basis. Wow. Uh, okay, but like Kareem, did you have any thoughts on the political elements or? No, the only thing I was going to ask, but Glenroy kind of um, answered it was the idea of since he's so active on that front, to what extent did he? Or does he think that a lot of the momentum that was happening in the Caribbean, which probably was happening before, not probably, it was definitely was happening before, um, was influenced by like the U.S.'s 2015 decision for um, to essentially legalize same-sex marriages? Um, only because I think there was somewhere where they were saying that it was going to be used as... Um, as grounds for the U.S. to cut ties with certain countries. So the fact that now that they've come to this awakening that we're, you know, accepting or protecting LGBTQ individuals, um, other countries might lose the benefit of that partnership or whatever the benefit is, a partnership with the U.S. if they don't move within that same vein. So they were kind of 
talking about, especially in the Caribbean and Jamaica, how that relationship would change if it's changed. So I was going to ask if you've seen anything like that or... Uh Um, So um, the easy answer is not been like that. Uh, So um, so I was saying that, so Albert Spellan Hodges was not necessarily, so in none of the cases where it was it, that I read that, was it referenced in any meaningful way? Because oftentimes in our own cases that we focus on like British precedents and other things in the Commonwealth and not a part of the Commonwealth. So that's the tendency. However, um, what I would say is that um, I don't know that the relation that U.S. used that as a basis to push certain narratives in Jamaica are kind of, kind of strong-armed with certain issues. Um, there's always been kind of bilateral relationships around human rights with um, between Jamaica and U.S. and Jamaica and other um, developed, developed countries. And that, I don't know that it changed because that decision was made. Um, okay. Right. So, and I kind of always careful of those things because I, the implication is that, you know, they right. can do whatever. But to, in, in all fairness to, to U.S. and the, the embassy and the mission and the development of partners is that, that the approach has never been, in my, as far as I have been aware, to strong arm Jamaica into getting, into doing law reform. Um, and it's definitely something I, as a, as a local advocate, caution against because it's more about partnering and it's more about um, recognizing cultural differences and supporting people to do the necessary work that needs to be done. And we've been fortunate, no matter, no matter We've been fortunate to be um, <laughs> have the necessary support and uh, um, to be able to do the work that we do and get and kind of enjoy some of the successes that we've been talking about. All right, back to Claire right now. Well, I mean, so we are approaching the end of our episode, but um, in the spirit of ushering in 2020 and the new decade, I wanted to ask what are some of your hopes, expectations around the question of um, LGBTQ politics or queer life in Jamaica? Like what are, what are some of the things that you are hoping to see in the next decade? What's that first? Kareem, go for it. I mean, I think, and, the, and I'm, I'm, he comes to mind first because I just saw his recent photo that more people or the gays or the queer queer community will have the moment that Billy Porter is having now. Mm. I mean, I know he's putting a lot of years and so on, but just the the symbolism of what is happening for him, like the opportunities and just his whole aura. I just I don't know, I guess I'll call it prosperity. Whatever is happening for him, I'm hoping that this decade will bring that for other queer individual, the queer community in general, where we'll just start to flourish and thrive and we'll get the opportunities that we've so hard, so long um, desired and worked hard for and tirelessly for, that the advocacy will have the Billy Porter moment, that the, um, our own personal lives will have the Billy Porter moment, that we'll just thrive and flourish, like that, that policy and everything will catch up and we'll have the moment that Billy Porter, and I'm sure he's still having some type of pushback, but for the most part, as an outsider looking in, it has been, it has, it, it seems um, very positive. And so, I don't know, I would love to see more of that. Excellent. Glenroy? I guess me fully believe mm. 20 will be the decade of the batty. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> batty energy will overflow it got it, it spurred up in so many ways. And the main reason why is this. And we didn't talk about the existence of pride. I mean, I don't know. Oh, we, oh, we, we, oh my God. You I, know what? That, that would be its own episode. Yeah. But yeah, but even the fact that we've done five prides in Jamaica, there are prides and more and more prides are becoming bigger and bigger. Like Trinidad, I think the last time I was there in 2018, they were having a month-long pride. Big up Trinidad. And then all of them were in the whole But um. I think that because the community is becoming more visible, and truth is, um, advocates can talk till we're blue, and no far we talk till blue. The real people who do the real change are the LGBT people themselves coming out and showing up, and which is why I personally believe visibility is liberty. Um, it's a big part of why I do the heels thing. It's a big part of, I mean, I like the cape too, but how, when and where I, and how I choose to wear my capes is a big part of that. Um, 
visibility matters and it's how we're going to be and it's how we're going to be able to say i'm here i'm jamaican and i'm not going to leave and let's work it out and let's see how we make that difference and so um for me i think it's going to be the decade of the battle because battle people now go stop as they say enough away thousand army want to say are the rich one and the outside to one them and the one them in the spaces of power for them, just stand up, look a bit. They have to stand up for too long, but just stand up, look a bit. As a era, things are gonna change. They're gonna just want them to use them battery energy and decide to them not to take the foolishness no more. And so once that starts up, and we can, I do believe we'll see the necessary um, legal reform and policy reform, and we'll see the shifting of the attitudes. And it's already on its way. Like how Jamaicans used to comment on like the video them. Um, um, LGBT people, whether it is them be dancing, whether it is them being beaten, or whatever. What, how they talk about LGBT issues now, it's no longer a, a, one, a, a singular comment with one or two differences. No, or a singular narrative with one or two differences. No, full on debates happen at Pinkwall, Daydream, all of the gossip sites on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever, um, about how people, how, um, the right of queer people to be and exist without being harassed. Um, and that only has happened because visibility has increased, because we're having the conversation and because we're claiming space, because y'all walk out and they must show up in them ears and them makeup and them nails, or they go buy a local supermarket. No, at them something, you know, at them something to change the world. And, and, and I mean, to go up on TV and talk and argue with girls in Portsmouth. But what really matters is that we show up in all the different ways that regular people show up. And when I show up, and, when, and we're not going to figure out our problems, but if you start it, we are finished it, and we are going to go about business. And that is what um, I foresee more of happening in Jamaica. And because that will happen more, just this what always society stay. Um, the battle, the battle life ever flourish. All right, I love that. Speak it into being. Right, remaining hopeful. Absolutely, Cornell. Any answers to the question? Yeah, and I mean, this is brought on by you know recent conversations. Some of which, again, we were talking about offline. But I hope in the next decade, uh, queer Jamaican people do not have to feel like they have to choose between living an honest life and living in their home country. And I hope that um, people won't feel that emigration is their only way to live a full life. I hope that um, Jamaicans, um, politicians, uh, entrepreneurs, private business people, are able to take stock of the fact that they are losing so many talented, creative, intelligent, um, hardworking, uh, you know, people because the the nature of you know people's professional and social life is such that they can't um, live, and it's hard for them to to be there. I have met a number of people who had you know amazing careers um who gave that up for the sake of trying to get something more in terms of um being able to live honestly and i think once we're able to get to a place where people aren't you know feel like leaving is because i mean again we know that jamaica already has an issue with um brain drain um but i mean the country has so much potential if it held space um, for for queer people um, in the political sphere, in the private sphere, in the I mean I think there all there's all, there has always been space for queer people at least within the arts. But I mean there is just so much talent there that Jamaica is losing losing out on, and it's it's just really sad to see. So that's my hope. Mm. Yeah. All right, so we're going to cut it there for now, folks. Um, it's the first one back. We have some really amazing uh, episodes coming up. We can't, uh, we can't give away too much yet, but there's going to be people that you're going to be hearing from, which will 
which I mean, we're excited about and we think you'll be excited about. So stay tuned. <laughs> um, as per usual, please reach out to us on our socials at Fishty Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Contact us at fishtpodcast at gmail.com if you have um, feedback. Oh, by the way, we are looking for people um, for the a kind of follow-up version to the You Can't Sit With Us episodes. Right. So if Especially are, female experiences. Yes. All yes. girls, the queens, St. Hughes, um, all the childhood, immaculate. Yeah, sure. Wells, the whole army. <laughs> Rush out, Woolmaz. <laughs> I can't stop. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, um, if you or anyone you know would like to share their experiences, um, please give us a shout. We would love to hear from you. And until next time, who's who's line with this? Was this like Glenroy or Kenny? that's Glen Rise? Okay, fine. Until next time, stay sophisticated. <laughs> <And> bye. <laughs> bye y'all.